The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. Let's say you make it to the top. What's next? Relish in the glory of your accomplishments? Okay, sure, for a minute. But then you move forward. Take the 2021 Escalade. Cadillac's newest arrival is more than just a celebration of iconic luxury. It's the most technologically advanced Escalade ever. Because arriving is just the beginning. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Welcome back. This is my second podcast. You're uh, here with the Sarah Carter Show, and we're really excited to have you. This is where the story begins. I'm very excited about this podcast because it's something very dear and close to my heart, and this is dealing with U.S. immigration, uh, the drug cartels, the enormous crisis at the U.S.-Mexico border, and the crisis that we're not only dealing with, but our partners to the south are dealing with. I started uh, working on the border years ago, actually when I first started as a reporter, young reporter in uh, near LA in California, and I started following the drugs from our inner city streets all the way to the US-Mexico border, where then I went into Mexico and covered the crisis all the way from the California border up to the Texas border with Matamoros. I spent a lot of time in Nuevo Laredo, I spent a lot of time in Arizona, uh, in New Mexico, uh, and these these are stories that are very important to me. I like I say all the time, and I've said it on numerous other shows on Fox News with Sean Hannity and with others. This has been a crisis that has been ongoing for decades. I'm finally grateful that we have an administration that's willing to do something about it. Uh, not only is the border crisis important to me, but I believe the opioid crisis. Buttress is right off of the border crisis. We are working diligently. Uh, I have a foundation, the Dark Wire Investigation Foundation, which is working diligently to educate young people about the drug crisis in America, particularly the issue of fentanyl and opioids pouring across our border from Mexico, from South America, from China, and how deadly and poisonous this is. This is a terror attack on our American populace. And I think it's something that we really need to focus on. As you personally know that I have done a documentary, it's at Not In Vain. That is V-E-I-N, Not In Vain, USA.com, where you could see the documentary free of charge. This is an educational documentary, but it really delves deep into the crisis at the US-Mexico border. Uh, so important for us to understand what's going on and to protect our children and our families from the horrors of these drug cartels, which are actually right now being allowed to perpetuate this horrible behavior, human trafficking, drugs, and the like. I, you know, one of the, one of the reasons why I'm doing this story today is because we have some really interesting data that just came out uh, this week. Department of Homeland Security just released data showing that a good significant number of people within the caravans, these migrant caravans that are heading to the United States, particularly the October 2018 caravan and the January 2019 caravan, which were the thousands of people, that Department of Homeland Security was able to gather data showing that a good number of them actually have criminal histories. 
This is something that has uh, been perplexing to me that the Democrats refuse to address. A lot of these folks, I know that they found three of the migrants. Now, this seems like a small number in those groups, but it's really important to stress that these are only the people that we've caught. Three of them uh, were actually convicted of murder. So that's very important. A lot of them with aggravated assault histories, uh, drunk driving histories, uh, rape. So there is a reason why people need to be vetted before they enter the United States. And this is one of those reasons. So Department of Homeland Security, along with um, ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, turned over all the numbers that they had so far to the House Oversight and Reform Committee. Uh, Congressman Jim Jordan had asked for those numbers. He's actually asking for more detailed numbers now. And this is the reason why I have a very special guest on the podcast today. Uh, and I'm so happy to have him because we need to hear from our Southern partners. And this is Mario Duarte. Mario Duarte, I've, I've met him before. I was in Guatemala in October 2018 where Jenny and I, Jenny's right here with me right now, she was able to see for herself um, in, on our most recent trip, actually, uh, what was going on in Guatemala. I traveled to Guatemala October 2018 on uh, my own, along with, though, uh, Judicial Watch, Chris Farrell and some others, and we went down there for the first time to watch the caravans come across the border from Honduras. Jenny went with me just recently, about three weeks ago. Jenny, what did you think? What What was your impression of what we saw in Guatemala? It was it was absolutely insane. You could see on the ground exactly what was happening. That these, like you said in your story, when you came back, you wrote the story on the ghost towns, that no one was there. Everyone had left for the U.S. Children were missing. That's right. It was it's really devastating to see what's happened to the people in Guatemala and how so many children, some of the children, and as Jenny brought up, and you can read these stories, by the way, at sarahacarter.com. That's sarahacarter.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter where you can see, that's Sarah Carter DC on Twitter, where you can see some of my stories and link to some of those stories. But we, we actually spoke to people in some of these towns in Santa Rosa de Lima, where they told us that some of the children have been missing for months. They're being recycled, being used by these coyotes, by the human traffickers to get people into the United States because these loopholes are failing us. So let's let's get to Mario Duarte. He was he is Guatemala's strategic secretary for intelligence. He is an amazing human being. He works very closely with the United States. I've seen some of the work that he is doing, that the government is doing in Guatemala, and I just want to hear his side of the story. That's important for us to understand both Guatemala's side of the story and, and what's going on in Central America right now and how that affects us. I'm on the phone now with Mario Duarte. Um, Mario, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Sarah. Wow, this is great. It's great being on with you. Um, I know that you and I have gotten to know each other pretty well from my recent trips to Guatemala. You've made several trips yourself to the United States. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about what's happening. As you know, President Trump uh, has stated again that he wants to cut funding to Guatemala, to other Central American countries, until this crisis is rectified. How is your nation addressing this? What are you doing to address these issues with the Trump administration? And where are you at now as far as your current political and economic situation in Guatemala? All right. Well, first off, thank you, Sarah. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, you know, we actually, uh, obviously, uh, we're aware that um, 
President Trump was going to cut uh, some funding to Guatemala. Uh, however, uh, when he communicated this uh, through, uh, through his spokesperson at the State Department, um, it was uh, made also, you know, obvious there that the, the funding that was going to be cut is not directly related to all the security programs that uh, allow us or allow us the Guatemalan authorities to assist also uh, U.S. authorities to curve down any flux of uh, drugs, uh, illegal immigrants, or any type of, uh, of threat that uh, can be coming through Guatemala towards the United States. So that's, that's a really, first yeah, that's a really yeah. important question, uh, a point that you're making there, Mario. And I think our listeners need a little bit more explanation there. So the, the, mm -hmm. the funding that's going to be cut is ma mainly looking at uh, NGO groups, uh, other type of special interest groups in the region, but not so much the security apparatus that works directly with your government in an effort to try to curb the drug cartels, to curb uh, the issues of illegal immigration. Uh, is, is, that, is that true? Am I right? That is correct. That is correct. So basically all the assistance that is given currently to our security forces, our armed forces, as long as it's used to curve down all these different threats towards the United States, they're going to be, they're going to remain in place. We're still going to be, uh, you know, receiving that assistance from the, from the United States. And obviously, uh, you know, we are uh, a partner of, of the United States and uh, we've been partner for a long time. Now, the funding that is going to be cut, as we understand, it's all other funds that go, as you said, to NGOs or any other projects that are not related to security. Mm -hmm. So do you think that's going to affect Guatemala overall? I mean, you do have economic hardships. Their uh, current political situation, I know, is tenable right now. How do you think that's going to affect your country, and will that affect ours in the future? I mean, Democrats try to say, you know, if we cut the funding to the NGOs, if we cut funding to uh, groups that are trying to assist migrants, then we're going to see a bigger migrant problem here in the United States. Do you agree with that, or where do you stand on that? Uh, not at all. I don't. I, I don't agree with that assessment. To be honest with you, I don't think uh, most of those, most of that money is actually being uh, properly used in our countries, mainly in Guatemala. Uh, as you just said, a lot of that money goes to NGOs who spend it on mostly uh, doing uh, analysis and white papers and studies. The money is not really going towards the people. Uh, there is not a significant. There is no uh, significant projects that really help us along those lines. I just had, a, a, you know, a couple of days ago, I had a, a conversation with a, a couple of project managers from USAID that have worked here in Guatemala. They have worked in Haiti. They have worked in Africa. They have worked in Afghanistan. And the issue here is that the projects are almost like pet projects for some political ideal. You know, uh, it's it's not something that's going to significantly significantly increase. Uh, the, uh, the Guatemalan capacity to actually start building up on that and create uh, jobs and, and create some sort of development. What so, at, I'm sorry, at some point there needs to be a good coordination in between the executive of the United States and the executive of Guatemala to really make uh, a change in how these projects are selected and how they are funded to make sure that the money is actually used to assist us in, in, in developing our undeveloped, you know, uh, regions and, you know, redundancy applied here. 
Oh, well, one of the big issues, and I know that this is something that concerns you, we've discussed it in the past, we discussed it when I was in Guatemala recently, is the movement of migrants now from all over the world going through both uh, South America, coming up through Colombia, in through other areas like El Salvador. These are people from African nations, people from the Middle East, uh, known as special interest aliens here in the United States. And I know that Guatemala, and because you work with intelligence, is very involved in assisting the United States in trying to weed out people that might be a concern for the U.S. or a national threat to both your nation and our nation. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, that, that is correct. Actually, we've been very effective along those lines in working with, with our partners. Uh, you know, during, during the past uh, three years, we have been able to, uh, uh, to intercept and deny access and uh, deny uh, further movement to, as you said, special interest aliens coming from countries that uh, do have a, some sort of relationship with terrorism organizations or also individuals that appear in some database uh, and that, you know, might prove some sort of link to terrorist organizations. So obviously, we are not going to allow them to go through. So we go through a very complicated process after they are, uh, you know, reviewed, interviewed, and then they, they get sent back to whatever they came from. I know you can't talk mm -hmm. about details of cases that you deal with with the United States, especially with partners like the CIA or other nations' uh, intelligence apparatus, but can you talk in general about maybe some of the places or some of the people that you have apprehended and where they're from and why that's a concern? Yes, uh, overall, you know, you, you said it yourself, it's mainly people from the Middle East and, uh, and people from Africa. Those are the, the places that really, you know, most of the time people come with some sort of specific tie that are of interest to our, uh, to our intelligence agencies and our security apparatuses. When they do enter your country, when you do uh, apprehend them, do is, that the, is it at that point that you reach out to U.S. officials or to other officials around the world uh, regarding these people? Are some of them even on Interpol lists, or do you notice that they're, or are they people that you're currently investigating? What? How do you know? Well, it's a combination of things, and and and, and, and to, you know, to be completely. Uh, open about it, most of these people are not really caught during a regular entry into, into Guatemala. Most of them are uh, uh, intercepted when they are, you know, walking around in big groups or in a bus moving towards the Mexican border. Uh, they, they come in Guatemala illegally through the borders either with El Salvador or with Honduras as mm -hmm. they made up their way through for, uh, from South America into Guatemala. That's when they are captured or better said, sent to a, an immigration uh, processing facility where they are interviewed. Once we have all their data, their bio data, we share it with the United States and other partners, see if there is any background information that might help us decide what to do with them, right? And that's when we, you know, we get feedbacks about this person being a special interest alien or having a warrant for arrest in some country or, or something else. Wow, that's incredible. I think that's something that really interests a lot of people here in the United States because the perception is is that all of the people that are crossing are all just poor migrants or people fleeing criminal backgrounds or criminal history uh, in their own countries uh, and coming in here just looking for a better life. But we do have to be concerned about those national security aspects. Let me ask you this. 
How is it, you know, in the United States, we're, we're looking at problems both in Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador. What is it like in Guatemala um, for the majority of people that are coming here to the United States? How are you handling that as a nation? Uh, how are you repairing and rebuilding uh, Central America or your own country of Guatemala to ensure that people stay home, that they have a safe place of refuge, that they don't have to leave their own home countries to come here in search of a better life? Okay, so you know, after after 30 years of an internal conflict, uh, Guatemala has gone through a, a process of trying to rebuild itself. Uh, a lot of people say that in Guatemala there is no, uh, you know, low intensity conflict between the right and the left. That's baloney. I'm sorry to use that word, <laughs> but because really, I mean, in Guatemala, I think it's the is the hot spot for I, the, the ideological war right now in Central America. Uh, we have a very, very intense, even though no, no, not an actual, you know, weapon use of weapons war, but you know, media warfare, lawfare, all that type of uh, of different types of attacks between each other, the left and the right. So it has come to a point where some of our systems internally are not necessarily functional. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, right now. Uh, a lot of uh, foreign investors have decided not to come to Guatemala or not to fund more projects in Guatemala because there is no certainty of law and there is no respect for the rule of law. What do I mean? A lot of, uh, unfortunately, a lot of uh, judges in our judicial system have actually sided with uh, uh, several NGOs, unfortunately, leftist NGOs. And they've gone against uh, private property and uh, the private process to acquire land and attacking different types of businesses such as mines, such as hydroelectric plants, uh, such as uh, uh, um, uh, monocultive uh, uh, plants. And the issue with that is that you have investors that have spent millions of dollars, uh, companies that employ thousands of Guatemalans, and then they get attacked judicially uh, because uh, 40, 50, 60 years ago, they didn't go through a specific process to acquire a, la a land, and NGOs claim now that they are native lands, mm. and then they have to see to stop their operations and fire all these people. That's now, what happens with these people, uh, Guatemala doesn't have a real, uh, you know, socialist state where the, the, where, the, where the government can take care of all that people. So they'll search for, for an opportunity somewhere else. Unfortunately, there are all these political uh, NGOs or uh, politically oriented NGOs that are also uh, weaponizing these people in need. And they're using, and I, I've said this before, and I said it uh, uh, to you when we were together on, on Fox. Mm -hmm. They're weaponizing these people in need and using them as their own private picketing mobs at the southern border in the, in the United States for political purposes, obviously. So obviously a lot of the people that are coming in these caravans, particularly from your experience in Guatemala, are being used uh, by these groups, being used by leftists in Central America in order for political purposes to, to, to make a statement to come to the United States and to make life difficult for the government that's now in place. Uh, I gotta wrap this up, Mario, but I wanna ask you one more quick question, and if you can make this quick, I would really appreciate it. But if you were Absolutely. to deliver a message to the Trump administration, what would that be? Uh, that both our countries, but at the executive level, they need to talk to each other and decide what are the good projects, 
where is worth investing, and where do we need as, as, as a developing country or, try, or, 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 or a country trying to develop its, its, own, its own infrastructure and system, where do we need that assistance? How can we clean up our, our, our judicial system here to make sure it's not politicized, and how we can actually work so that, you know, I'm going to use a, a phrase of a friend, if whatever is good for Guatemala is good for the United States, and whatever makes Guatemala great will make the United States great. I couldn't have said it better myself, Mario. Thank you so much, and I look forward to seeing you again soon in Guatemala yes, City. Thank you. Wow, Jenny, um, that interview with Mario Duarte was just great. I felt like we got so much more news out of that than even I expected. Uh, it's understandable. I mean, look, Central America has its own internal political problems, its own internal strifes. They work very diligently, especially the Guatemalan government with the United States intelligence apparatus, as well as our State Department. There's also a lot of issues uh, there that we heard Mario discuss as specifically dealing with NGOs. Uh, was Did it surprise you at all, Jenny, when you heard that? It was very surprising because you think these people are helping on the ground and really they're just perpetuating a crisis. That's it, and that's why we go to these places around the world. We don't just sit behind a desk. We go there, we wanna see the stories for ourselves. That's why I will continue to follow this story. I will travel to Central America. I'll travel back to Guatemala. I plan on going to Mexico very soon. I plan on going to El Salvador. That is why we are taking back the story. And I am so excited about this podcast. And I hope that you all listen and come back to the Sarah Carter Show. Please read my stories on sarahcarter.com. Please go to sarahcarter.com. Jenny Tear is also a writer on my website. She's incredible. She's working with me on a lot of projects. We've got Lori Marcus out of Israel who writes a lot of stories for us as well and many other writers. Thank you so much and it's great to be with you. I'll see you next week. Rule the day the plant-based way with the new vegan mixed berry from Smoothie King. Powered by whole, non-GMO fruits, oat milk, and vegan protein, it's a dairy-free, plant-based smoothie you can feel great about. With 13 grams of protein and half your daily fiber, it's an easy way to get the essential nutrients your body craves. Skip the line and order online for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, not just here or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving.